you will turn with me to John 17. John 17. Let's begin with verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil, that is, the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I invite you this morning to turn back with me to John chapter 17. I've been preaching a series of messages concerning the Lord's Prayer. And this morning I want us to focus our attention on verse 16. This is an absolutely amazing statement. John 17 verse 16, he said, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That is an amazing statement. Now the first thing we need to know is who they are of whom he's speaking. He uses the word they all through this prayer and is very clear as to who they are. They are those given to him by his Father. I pray not for the world, I pray for them which thou hast given. Thou hast given me power over all flesh that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. They are those he prays for, not the world. Those to whom he gives eternal life, gives the words of life, sacrifices himself, sanctifies himself, and sends us out into the world with his gospel. He said, I pray for them. For them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. This is the they that he's talking to. And my subject this morning is concerning a people not of this world. In verse 16 of our Lord's high priestly prayer, he draws a parallel with himself. And he says to his father, they are not of this world as I am not of this world. There's a parallel there. And this parallel shouldn't surprise us seeing He is our salvation. But seeing it on the pages of divine inspiration is just to me like seeing it again afresh every time I look at it. It's like eating bread fresh out of the oven. 
There's a divine freshness about the revelation of Christ. Now keep in mind what he says in this verse because it's the very heart of the matter of faith. Now here's the question I propose to ask. How are these people for whom he prays not of this world? And how is their not being of this world a parallel with himself? Have I got your attention? you understand what it is I'm talking about? I've read this passage many times, but it never jumped off the page at me like it did when I was preparing this message. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. How so? Well, let me give you just as many things as I found in the Word of God. As many times as things as time will allow. First of all, we're not of this world even as He is not of this world in our origin. Back in 1949, up in the middle of Ashland, Kentucky, there's a hospital called King's Daughters Hospital. My mother, Martha Howard Pruitt, went into that hospital and bore a little boy and called him Darwin. On the 10th of December, I came forth out of the womb of my mother. I was given this name Darwin, and my history as a citizen of the United States began right then. Everything from that time is documented. It's documented on my birth certificate, my social security card, my driver's license. And no history prior to that is documented concerning my origin. But that's not my origin. My origin is in God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Word of God tells us that we were blessed by our Heavenly Father according as He hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. He tells us in Romans 8, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The origin of every believer is the same as Christ. His origin is in God. In time, just like Christ, we, were, we came forth out of our mother's womb. Didn't we? Huh? And an earthly history began. 
And men can tell you all about the earthly history of Christ. They can tell you where he was born. They think they know the exact time. They think they know all about it. Herod asked the Jews, now, concerning Christ, where's he going to be born? Where's this baby going? Where's he? And they told him. Told him everything. Our origin is the same as Christ. Our origin is in God. It's in God. Jesus Christ did not originate in Bethlehem. He speaks to his father and he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In John 1, he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And then there came a time and the Word was made flesh and manifest among us. There was a time when you and I were manifest in this world. In John eight forty two, he tells the scribes and Pharisees, If God were your Father, you'd love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. John the Baptist said this about Christ. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all, and what he hath seen and heard, that he testifies. He's the only one who can. Huh? Or what does he testify? He testifies that the Father gave him a people. And if you'll read in the book of Proverbs, you'll see that before the mountains were formed and before the earth had any form about it, he rejoiced in the habitable part of the earth. There was no earth. Oh, yes, there was. Oh, yes, there was. Where was it? In the purpose of God. And he rejoiced and fellowship with his people before the people ever were. Huh? Where's your origin? If you're one of his elect, it's in God. In John six thirty eight he said, I come down from heaven. From heaven. They are not of this world even as I am not of this world. Their origin began with God. All God's elect. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and talks about a time to come of great and massive deception, a falling away, a man of sin, antichrist, not a single man or denomination, but a whole system, movement, religion, if you will, personified as a person. And what does he do? He opposeth and exalteth himself above all that's called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. His working is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. 
that they should believe a lie and that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Swallowed up in Antichrist charm. Swallowed up in Antichrist deception. Lured in by the strange woman who caught him and kissed him and gave him offerings of peace. A great falling away. But now watch this. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we're bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you, not a number, He chosen you, an individual. He hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel. What is it that all why is it that all are not drawn into worldly religion? Are some more wise than others? Are some more teachable than others? Or is it just a matter of circumstance and situation? He says that they that dwell on the earth shall wander. Wander. All of them. They'll wander after the beast. They'll wander. They'll just follow after whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. God has a people. And their being in time began in eternity. Do you believe that? Read Romans chapter 9. He talks about a people there afore prepared unto glory. Isn't that what he says? Your origin is with God. And it's the same as Christ. Now we weren't God, but we were in God. In God. Before the world was. Our origin is in God. Secondly, we're not of this world as He's not of this world by divine purpose. God has a purpose. He saves men on purpose. The God of glory does everything He does on purpose. There's a purpose behind everything. He said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And believers are not of this world by divine purpose. Everything God does, He does on purpose. Let me read you a few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 1. He tells Timothy to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us. Past tense. Who hath saved us and then called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God's purpose and grace. Our origin in God is based on the purpose of God to save a people for the glory of His name. And grace is here used to show us that there's no place in our salvation for us to glory in. It's not of works lest any man should boast. And God's purpose and grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
And that's why it won't ever change. Every individual whose origin is in God, according to the election and predestination of God, is going to be saved. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're going to be saved. In time and by His Son, we shall obtain an inheritance being predestinated. Are you listening? According to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. And this whole world finds their purpose in their families and their jobs and their recreation and their religion and their stations and the list is endless. But the believer finds his purpose in God. Rebecca was pregnant with twins. And God said to her concerning these twins in her womb, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Why? Why would God hate one and love the other? Well, it's easy for me to understand why God hated Esau. I don't have a problem with that. Religious people argue about that all the time. That ain't fair. You can read about it in Malachi. The Jews had a problem with it. I don't have a problem with that. I know what we are by nature. We're sinners. I understand why God hated Esau. Why did he love Jacob? <laughs> and here's what he says, Romans 9-11, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Not of works, but of him that called. And Christ came into this world to do what His Father purposed to do before the world was. And we're not of this world, as He is not of this world, by divine purpose. Thirdly, we're not of this world, as He's not of this world, in the limitations put upon men by sin. By sin. You ever think about that? He told that man with a withered hand, stretch forth thy hand. Thousands with withered hands. None of them could. But he did. <laughs> huh? He told that paralyzed man, he'd been laying there for years. You know his little body's all shriveled up and nothing but bones with skin on it. And the Lord said, take up your bed and walk. He laying down there waiting for somebody to put him in the water so he could be healed. The Lord said, take up your bed and walk. Nobody else down on that porch stood up and walked, but he did. He did. We're not of this world as he's not of this world in the limitations of sin. And when our Father chose us in His Son and predestinated us to the adoption of children, He made full and complete provision for us. And part of that provision is the ability to do what He commands us to do. And this provision encompasses all things. 
especially our inabilities. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Uh, not of works lest any man should boast for we're his workmanship. Uh, God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He gave us the ability. He gave us the want to. Paul said to the Colossians, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of enlightened saints. Made willing. Made willing in the day of His power. And nothing in the realm of salvation is possible for men to do themselves. It's absolutely impossible. Who then can be saved? That's what the apostles ask. Pretty straightforward. I'm not taking something and misapplying it. They, they asked, who then can be saved? The Lord said, with men it's impossible. Is that what he said? But, with God, all things are possible. And I love this, what he told his disciples. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Men and women dream up all sorts of things to express what they call salvation and how it began, and most, when closely examined, are owing to the flesh. I read this. I thought this. I felt this or that. It suddenly come to me. They've got every answer under the book, and if you closely examine it, it all goes back to them. And I beseech you to listen to this verse in the book of James. In James 1.17, he says, Every, which one of them? Every good gift. Would you say salvation is a good gift? Faith is a good gift. Life is a good gift. Every good gift and every Perfect gift is from above. It's not within, it's up there. And it comes down from the Father of lights, now listen, with whom is no variableness. He's not going to change one whit. Neither shadow of turning, not even a shadow of possibility that God will change. Of his own will, this unchangeable God, this giver of perfect gifts, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or creation. God will not vary, he does not bob and weave at every age and circumstance. Full provision was made for the salvation of his saints and the means ordained from the beginning. And in this prayer, he mentions time and again the words he gave to his people and the knowledge they gained from those words. And then in verse 20, he talks about those which shall believe through their word. 
Now be careful what you say to men and women concerning the salvation of your soul and even more careful about how you receive it and believe it. God doesn't vary. When he said, this is my will, this is how I do things, this is my purpose, write it down. That's how it's going to be done. He doesn't vary in his person, he doesn't vary in his will, in his means, or in his end. And that's what makes his gifts sure. And that's what makes his gifts effectual. He don't vary. We are not of this world as he's not of this world in our origin. We're not of this world as he's not of this world by divine purpose. And we're not of this world as he's not of this world in the limitations of sin. I'm going to tell you something. Believers can do what no other person can. Huh? That's right. Lazarus, come forth. Who, who come out of there? Moses didn't. Billy Bob didn't. Lazarus did. He did what no other son of Adam could possibly do. He rose from the dead. Why? Because God called him. Huh? They can do what nobody else can do. We're his workmanship, he said, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It's God that worketh in you. And then fourthly, we're not of this world as he's not of this world in our citizenship. We're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He said, Fathers, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Born in Ashland, Kentucky. But now... I'm a citizen in the kingdom of God. My allegiance is to Him. He's my King. He's my Lord. The government's on His shoulders. My government here rests on His shoulders. He dictates policy. Uh, we don't vote on it. We don't get a committee meeting and say, here's what we're going to let God do. <laughs> I, I don't even like that phrase, do you? Let God. He dictates policy. He makes the rules. We won't change them, but He makes the rules. He maintains the peace. He guards from all invaders. And he resolves all the issues. God does. God does. I'm a citizen in God's kingdom and a fellow citizen with the saints. He said, These all died in faith, not 
having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded that them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And he said, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and it ain't this one. It's that one. Abraham went, actually walked through the promised land. Walked right through. Met their kings. Met these people. Walked, walked right in. Owned the whole thing. All his by the promise of God. He didn't claim one square foot of it, did he? He passed through there as a pilgrim. He raised his family in a tent because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That's why. He was a citizen of that kingdom. And truly, it says, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they come out, they might have had opportunity to have returned but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Oh, that you and I could look upon our time here as being abroad. Huh? Sojourning in a foreign land, just passing through. And then fifthly, we're not of this world as he's not of this world as to its final end. This world and everything in it is marked for destruction. The blackness of this world only, only serves as a backdrop for God to reveal the glory, the glory of His character in His Son and the salvation of His people. He places the pearl of great price in that backdrop. But at his, at his appearing, it'll go by the wayside. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where these things don't exist. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? Uh-huh. Wherever it is, that's where your heart is. What do you treasure more than anything else? What is it you're not willing to let go of? That's your treasure. And then lastly, we're not of this world as he's not of this world in character and attitude. Those who truly know God have a godly attitude and character. That's just so. <coughs> And though it does not appear what they're going to be, and it don't, it don't appear what you're going to be. But we know this, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. And everybody has that hope, they purify themselves. What's that mean? That means they zero in on Christ, the perfect man. That's what that means. That's where their mind and heart is stayed on Him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All these things are attitude and character. 
Christ said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. They make a false profession, but they're dead. And they soon fall from the tree, just like a dead limb. And men gather them up and toss them in the fire. Herein, he said, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. They're not of this world in attitude and character. And all oh, that our Lord may include us with them. That we might be the they that he's praying for and talking about. That we might, by the grace of God, stand in that day with the saints in white linen. Wearing crowns. And take those crowns and throw them at his feet. And join in that chorus. Worthy is the Lamb. Huh? Oh, my soul. We're not of this world. We're not of this world. How many times we need to be told that? Every time I stand behind this pulpit. Every time I open this book. I need to be reminded, this is not my home. I'm only passing through. Huh? Oh, my God. All right. Thank you.